0: The reading today is taken from Job 38: 12 to 18, 41:1 to seven, and 42:1 to 17. This is the Lord speaking to Job. Have you ever given orders into the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the Deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook, or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose, or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet out of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young woman in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons, or its head with fishing spears? Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You said, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namatite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep Six thousand camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemiah, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were they found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and his, their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years.
1: Thanks for reading. Well done on those names. Claire, thanks for your welcome. and Michael, thank you for sharing with us. And thank you to all of you for having me for these three sessions. May I pray? Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Lord God, thank you that you have spoken into the circumstances of our lives. So may we have a sense of anticipation and humility as we hear your word. Amen. So that's the ending of Job. They all lived happily ever after. If you've enjoyed Job for its gritty realism, you may find that ending a bit cheesy, a bit too Disney. There's a great recent movie called Saving Mr. Banks. It's the true story of the creator of Mary Poppins, P.L. Travers negotiating with Walt Disney to sell him the rights to make the movie. You may know that Mary Poppins, the novel, was a darker story in the original, and she feared that Walt would sell out, that he would make it all penguins and cartoons and happy endings, which, of course, he did. Uh, P. L. Travers apparently didn't agree that the final output was supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. We will get to the happy ending, but the reality is we often live in the confusion that is really laboured in the book of Job, 37 chapters of speculation by his friends and of agonising, questioning by Job, as we often agonise when disaster strikes. And in a way, we really should have done a 40-week series in this book because if we'd gone through it chapter after chapter it would leave us where we should be at this point gasping for answers gasping for God because we really only get anywhere when like a breath of fresh air 38 verse 1 the Lord answered Job out of the storm it's a big moment what's he going to say what's the answer to evil and suffering Well, it turns out the answers are not so much focused around why as who. God talks about himself. This is our first point. Let me read 38 verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Down in verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning and if we read on in chapter 38 we'd see verse 16 have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep they say that we still know more about outer space than we do about the oceans, the waters are so murky, the pressure so intense virtually no one's ever explored the recesses of the deep have you? Verse 18 says, have you comprehended the vast expanses of this earth? Or as verse 19 goes on to talk about light and darkness, where did they come from? Verse 21, surely you know, for you were already born when light and darkness were formed. Weren't you, Kev? Actually, I was born in the late 1970s in a hospital outside Glasgow. Oh, What about verse 31? Can can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations? Can you raise your voice to the clouds? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you?
0: You might be able to feel this. it's, It's relentless. It goes on all the
1: way through the next chapter as well. God's response is to throw the questioning back the other way, not as a deflection but by way of a reminder of what the dynamics in this relationship are. Were you? Have you? Can you? And Job, with great humility, remember how much this man has suffered and wrestled and questioned. Job, in chapter 40, verse 3, gets God's point. Chapter 40, verse 3 Job says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? This rhetorical speech is not cruel. Uh, God wants us to talk to him about our pain. Permission to lament, as Job's been doing through the book. But God's words here are a rebuke to us all. Job gets that. Will we be able to get it in our world where people are big and God is often so small? Where if we do talk to him, it's often, isn't it, as an inferior or an equal or sometimes at best just a slightly bigger version of us. God talks to the oceans like they are a small dog. He moves constellations around like marbles. He has seen the recesses of the deep. People sometimes say, if, if I met God, I'd tell him a thing or two. Really? About what precisely? That he doesn't know everything about already and completely control? The God I believe in would never dot, dot, dot. I like to think of him as whatever. Are you honestly suggesting that what you or I like to think of him as would be the main point about the person who laid the foundation of the earth I don't mean it rudely and God doesn't mean it cruelly, it's helping Job to be reminded of who God is and who he is and Job still in his place of agony trusts God will we well if we need more persuasion God comes back for round two so brace yourself for God's Second speech, which is more of the same kind of rhetoric, but it's clear, I think, in God's second speech that his intention is not simply to rebuke, but to comfort. And in 40, verse 10, which isn't on your sheet, God offers Job the chance to put on the wig and the gown, if you like, and to run the Supreme Court of history himself. God says, adorn yourself with glory, You unleash your fury on the proud and the wicked. You try and bring justice with your penal system, Job, if you can. You may remember the movie Bruce Almighty. Uh, Jim Carrey's character gets annoyed at God one too many times. And to teach him a lesson, God puts him in charge of answering all the prayer requests in the world. Which partly proves too much administratively for Bruce... Millions flooding into his inbox every second, maybe like some of you feel. But the ones he does answer, of course, result in the chaos of unforeseen consequences. That's the kind of challenge being placed here. And again, it's not cruel, it's God's way of reminding Job that he is the righteous judge of all, including the judge of all beastly forces. See, as we go into chapter 40 and then chapter 41, which is on your sheet, evil and suffering seem to be personified, particularly in this character Leviathan. So 41 verse 1, can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? And always reminds me of that verse of the first time my father-in-law took me fishing when I caught myself, actually, as the line came flying back into my mouth with the hook, and apparently that doesn't count as making a catch in fishing. But the point is, when you read Leviathan, read in the forces of evil. Why do I say that? Well, if you do a Bible Gateway search, Leviathan, Isaiah 27 is a verse where Leviathan represents spiritual evil forces, and God speaks of a day of judgment on Leviathan. That coiling serpent, that dragon of the sea. Surprise, surprise, right at the end of the Bible, another beast is described as being like a serpent, a dragon, as the book of Revelation draws that imagery together around the character Satan, who was wreaking havoc at the start of the book of Job. 41 verse 7 Can you fill his hide with harpoons? Or his head with fishing spears? I'll just read to you some of the words that the chapter then goes on to use about Leviathan. He lays people low. He produces terror, fire, terror again. Strikes fear into mighty people. Cannot be intimidated. He is high and mighty and proud. Leviathan, a.k.a. Satan, can you? Will you tame him, stop him? Everything evil in our broken world ultimately traces back to his destructive influence. God made the big beast, though. Even the big frightening ones. He made Satan, which raises loads of questions, doesn't it? He didn't make him evil. God's not morally responsible for Satan's havoc, but to God he is a creature. And that means he wreaks havoc only under God's permission. I guess suffering and evil, they, they anger us so much because aren't they the thing that screams most in our lives that you are not in control? We cry with Job. We cry, why? Why? Especially if you are good and fair, God, why? God doesn't explain why in the detail here. God speaks to us about himself. Partly to make the point, who are we? To tell the just judge how to run his universe. But also to bring comfort too. See, Satan and his forces, they may not be on our leash, But the Almighty, as he's called 31 times in the book of Job, the Almighty can leash the beast. And one day God will, if you like, fish him out of the world on God's hook for Satan never to terrorise anyone ever again. And again, as we head into our third and final point, humble Job gets the point. Chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. I don't know what pain you might be going through now, or will do in the future, or in your work, perhaps, helping people who are going through real horrors. No purpose of God's can be thwarted. Does it help to know that? It helped Job. As he prays here, full of tears, full of sores. He doesn't know the full story of the conversation with God and Satan that kicked it all off. He doesn't know that he's about to have his fortunes restored. He doesn't know about the serpent crusher. That the fatal harpoon will be launched to the beast, if you like, from a Roman cross. And in verse 6, in that final bit, where it says Job repented, it's not in the sense that his friends wanted him to, that you must have some unconfessed sin, Job. It's that he's been humbled by an encounter before the Almighty God. Will we be like him? God holds Job up as the model in the verses that follow to the friends. We know a bit more than Job about his backstory, We know a lot more about the big Bible story of God v. Satan. We don't know much more, though, about the details of why when it comes to our own pain. And so we wrestle, we question, we struggle. Of course we do. We've seen permission to in the book of Job. But like Job, will we land in a place of humble trust? Martin Luther King said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The story arc can take a long time to be resolved, but God bends towards justice. Verse 12 the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He gets double the life, double the stuff. Perfect family. It's a picture of heaven. See, we need this happy ending at the book of Job because happy endings are what God is all about. This vindicates Job. He didn't do anything wrong to deserve such suffering. And this rescues the character of God who always comes good for his people in the end. This is a picture of the end of our story. New heavens and a new earth, blessing, inheritances all round. No promise that it will get well any time soon in our particular situations, but a fairy tale ending for God's worshippers is assured. Is it worth the pain though? Was it worth Job's pain? We might ask, was it worth the cross? The ultimate example that sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Near the end of my mother's battle with cancer at the back end of last year, she got me into the writings of Corrie Ten Boom, who she had found to be a great inspiration. Corrie Ten Boom spent most of 1944 in Ravensbrook concentration camp with her sister Betsy, who died just before Corrie herself was released. Uh, one of her favourite illustrations as she travelled the world telling her story was an illustration about a tapestry. A tapestry, as you know, the front is, is art, but the back is, is a mess. You might be able to see something of the image, but on the back of a tapestry you see knots and loose ends and ugliness. Her point was that's often like our lives. We look at them from the perspective of the back, where we see the mess and often can't see the beauty of what God is actually making. Cory Ten Boom wrote this poem. My life is like a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, will God unroll the canvas, and reveal the reason why. Very hard in some situations, isn't it, to see how circumstances could be part of a bigger, beautiful story. But on that day when, if you like, the upper side is revealed, it will be glorious. God's son at the centre, holding everything together. All of our stories weaved in beautifully. And we will be saying, praise you, Lord. You did not put a single foot wrong in any of the detail. And you are good. No purpose of God's can be thwarted.